0: What this measure does is put the words sex equality into the Constitution in a way that we've never had. It updates and modernizes the United States Constitution and brings us into the community of peer countries who explicitly prohibit sex-based discrimination in their constitutions. We have the only Constitution of modern democracies that doesn't explicitly include protections against sex-based discrimination. It's kind of a national humiliation.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, social justice, and gender. I'm Ann Doyle.
2: And I'm Dana Harvey coming to you from the Motor City Woman Studios in Detroit, Michigan,
1: where the snow is finally gone. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dana, there are days that I think we have come so far in terms of uh, gender equality and women's leadership, and then I uh, there are days when I am so discouraged by the backlash and really stunned by what supposed leaders are willing to say and what people are willing to accept and You know, the most recent example that now is national news uh, happened right here in Michigan, where one of the trustees at the University of Michigan, speaking at a partisan political event, called our governor, our secretary of state, and our attorney general of Michigan, who are all women, the three witches who should be burned at the stake. And you know, of course, the faculty and students and people are calling for his resignation, but. You know, he's just going to power right on through because he gives a lot of money to the university and to his political party.
2: Yeah, I find that incredibly unfortunate. That came across my desk as well, Um, having a student there, and she's all fired up with this kind of political activism, especially from um, a woman's perspective. So I I appreciate that she is involved in this. But if it makes you feel any better, Ann, just recently, there's some good news because we always got to counterbalance with that. Uh, New Mexico Congresswoman Deb Holland has just been confirmed as the first Native American Secretary of the Interior, a cabinet position that was once led in an effort to exterminate Native Americans. Talk about coming full circle. So wow, she's amazing. starting there first, and hopefully this trustee at University of Mission will get his
1: day. <laughs> yeah. Well, our topic today, talking about all this, is right connected to exactly these issues, which is the Equal Rights Amendment. The ERA would provide females equal protection under the U.S. Constitution, contrary to what many people believe is girls and women still do not have that protection.
2: It is hard to believe, but but I can see why that would be the case. So the ERA was drafted and first introduced in 1923 by suffragist Alice Paul, just a few years after American women finally won their 75-year fight for the right to vote. This was the last big push to get it passed, which was in the late 70s and early 80s, and essentially that was at the height of the second wave women's movement. You remember those days, Anne?
1: Uh, yeah. As a baby boomer, I remember those heady days very, very well. I was just out of college. I participated in multiple joyful marches in support of the ERA because we got very, very close and we really thought we were going to get it passed until Phyllis Schlafly, Anita Bryant, with a lot of corporate support, started scaring everyone with a lot of distortions about how it would destroy the family, et cetera, etc., etc., So I I know exactly where I was standing, which was in the middle of a CBS TV newsroom here in Detroit when the news broke that we had run out of time. So I was uh, devastated and, you know, have my hopes up if we'll ever do that in my lifetime.
2: But there's good news, Anne. A new generation of leaders are reviving the push for the ERA. Three states so far, Nevada. Illinois, and Virginia have all ratified the ERA in the last few years. And just a few weeks ago, the U.S. House passed a resolution supporting the ERA. Let's talk about it. All right. Good deal. So our guests today are both working to raise awareness. One is a lawyer and the other is a journalist.
1: Katherine Frankie is a law professor at Columbia University and recognized as one of our nation's leading scholars on law, race, religion, and rights. And among her many accomplishments and responsibilities, most recently she launched the ERA Project, which is a law and policy think tank on the role of the ERA in advancing the larger cause of gender-based justice. And she joins our conversation from the Catskills, I believe. Welcome, Catherine.
0: Thank you, Anne and Dana. It's really great to see you.
2: Wonderful, thank you. And uh, Barbara Rodriguez joins us from her home base in Des Moines, Iowa, where she is a national reporter for the 19th, a new independent nonprofit news source reporting on gender, politics, and policy. Barbara has written excellent coverage about the ERA and is closely following what's going on at the state level. Her journalism credentials include the highly respected Des Moines Register and the Associated
1: Press. Barbara, welcome.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So let's begin by simply clarifying for our listeners exactly what the ERA says and and then what it would do. So Barbara, would you start us off by simply reading the words of the ERA and and then update us on the current status?
3: Sure. I I think I'll focus on sort of the exact language of of Section 1 of the Equal Rights Amendment because it's sort of the key part about equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or bridged by the united states or by any state on account of sex and those are the key words that are sort of at the center of conversations about whether the amendment um, is a part of the constitution or not and essentially congress is in the midst of figuring out how how, like, what's going to happen in the future? Um, the U.S. House last month uh, voted to pass a resolution that effectively recognizes the Equal Rights Amendment and removes any deadlines that had been attached to preamble of, of, the, of, the, of the amendment. And at the moment, it all eyes on the Senate and whether they will be taking up a similar resolution.
2: What is it that you want people to understand about why this passage of the ERA is so important?
0: Well, in so many respects, the the suffragettes who who drafted the ERA and introduced it into Congress in the 1920s understood sex-based equality as deeply connected to our right to vote and our status as equal citizens. And so they saw the ERA that was taken up by Congress in the 1920s as just the next step in granting full citizenship rights to all people in the country, and prohibiting discrimination in, um, on the basis of sex in all precincts of American society. So that 1920s measure didn't, uh, didn't get passed by Congress, but it was reintroduced in a slightly different form, as Barbara read the language of the 1972 ERA. And what this measure does is put the words sex equality into the Constitution in a way that we've never had. It updates and modernizes the United States Constitution and brings us into the community of peer countries who explicitly prohibit sex-based discrimination in their constitutions. We have the only constitution of modern democracies that doesn't explicitly include protections against sex-based discrimination. It's kind of a national humiliation that we don't, we, that we don't have that language in our constitution. But it's not just a symbolic measure. It's also very important to see the ERA as updating our equality, jurisprudence, and protections in the Constitution more generally, from a 19th century kind of outdated idea of equality to a more modern idea of equality. So the substantive change that would be created by including the ERA in the Constitution is not just one of signaling sex equality um, explicitly, but would also update the ways in which we protect against sex-based discrimination on a constitutional level.
1: Well, there is a revival right now. What has has triggered this revival and uh, how likely is it that we're going to get anywhere this time?
0: Many people think, wait, the ERA, isn't that a dead letter? Didn't that die in the 1980s? Or alternatively, they think, wait, did the ERA pass? Neither of which are absolutely true. And I think we've seen an upsurge in attention to the ERA, partly because of the election of Donald Trump and just the manifest ways in which he is a patriarchal sexist bigot and spoke (laughs) from the White House in ways that were degrading to women, also to people of color immigrants and a whole range of other people. The Women's March, yeah. took place on the date of his inauguration, and then the Me Too movement that has followed since then have been kind of spark plugs for national attention to this issue, that sex equality really
1: needs to be something we take seriously and that we address in a new way. Barbara, what's your perspective, yeah, from looking at it from from the state level, which you follow pretty closely?
3: It's been interesting as a reporter – Um, to be reaching out to different people and even um, individuals that are very closely tied to political offices and hearing from them the fact that they didn't realize that this is still a thing. I, I, you know, I I had this situation where I was calling a lawmaker's office and I was talking to a staffer who sounded very young. And when I explained that I was calling about the ERA, this person said the ERA and, and they just didn't realize that this was even a thing. And so, um, I think I'm, as a reporter, just trying to communicate to more readers about the fact that this is, this has some history to it, a uh, hundred years in the making, really. And I think what's been interesting is, is also explaining that, that it's been a revival that's actually happened in state houses. Um, you know, I, I wrote a piece just a few weeks ago about the fact that in the last few years, there have been Black women, women of color, members of the LGBTQ plus community, state lawmakers who have really done the work in state houses to get resolutions passed in their respective um, communities or or in their respective state houses to to ratify the, the ERA. And so I think one of the key points that has always been made about the Equal Rights Amendment is the fact that there are ways in which there is... Not enough uh, protections in the constitution to help address issues around discrimination, and I think you have this whole generation of lawmakers who are highlighting the fact that those inequities still exist. And so I think that is that is leading to a whole new generation of people who feel that there is a urgency still here to address problems that haven't ever been, you know, really truly resolved.
2: Understanding that you know the reactivation. By Women in Congress happened in 1972, and then by 1982, there was no extension. But historically, there has been some involvement with African-American women, specifically Mary Church Terrell, who was the founder of the NAACP, was pushing for this in the 1940s. And then, of course, Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, who helped lead the effort in the 1970s. And I know that there are a few other African-American women that are doing this on the state level, how are you finding that um, support and that groundswell either on the national level or on the state level that you've been working with?
3: Based off of my reporting, there appears to be a real strong belief among organizers and state lawmakers that there is a correlation between the increase in, in representation of Black women and women of color and members of the LGBTQ plus community in state houses. But there is a correlation between that increase in representation and the fact that there is more political willpower to To have you know gotten the the ERA past the thirty eight state threshold that that has been needed to get this conversation going back to Congress, you know I was talking to a few lawmakers in Virginia, which was the thirty eighth state to ratify the ERA and they talked about the fact that there was there were several efforts, and it wasn't until there was more women in the state house uh, more you know representation there that that there was the votes needed to to get the ERA past the the sort of finish line in Virginia.
0: So much of the framing that we have now of why we need the ERA, which I think is a little different from what the arguments were in the 1970s, is that it is particularly women of color who need stronger legal protections for both race and sex-based discrimination. So As we know, the Equal Pay Act was passed in 1963, prohibiting sex-based discrimination and how employees are paid. But women overall still make $0.82 on the dollar of what men make. But more importantly, Black women make $0.63 on the dollar of what men make overall. Native American women make $0.60 on the dollar of what men make. And Latinas make $0.55. the World Economic Forum ranks the United States yeah. 53rd in the world in terms of gender-based pay equity in the workplace or in the wage labor market. And whatever improvements we've seen since 1963, which are not great, they have stalled in the last number of years. So one of the most important parts of what the ERA will do is in section 2, which will will enable Congress to enact new legislation to strengthen sex equality laws in a range of places, not just in state and, and federal government um, programs and, and entities, but also in the private sector. The ERA will be a spark plug for enacting much stronger pay equity legislation, legislation dealing with domestic violence, dealing with childcare, And even if we look at um, COVID, And the effects of COVID, Mm -hmm. the workplace rights of women of color have been overwhelmingly and disproportionately impacted by COVID. And we need, what the ERA will allow us to do is make the argument to our governments is that whenever you put new policies into place, they have to have a gendered lens brought to bear on in what ways will those policies either alleviate or exacerbate existing sex-based inequality.
1: My sense from all my reading is it's not just a political barriers that there may be some actually technical legal obstacles to overcome here.
0: Now there are some impediments to getting the ERA finalized. One of them has to do with the deadline. So Congress when it when it originally passed the ERA had language that it attached sort of on the side To the measure saying that there was a deadline after which states, or within which states had to ratify, three quarters of the states had to ratify the ERA. That deadline expired in the early 80s. And so the bill that's in Congress right now, that has passed the House and is now over in the Senate, um, would lift the deadline, um, removing Mm. any kind of deadline, and thus the three quarters of the states that have ratified the ERA, um, making the ERA effective. There's an interesting and I think difficult legal question about whether Congress can actually lift that deadline, and there's Mm. some arguments to say that they can't. They can't um, spring back into um, life a measure that has already expired, but I think there are also good arguments, and I think probably the stronger arguments, um, uh, legal arguments, are that if Congress has the power to create a deadline, it can have the power to extend that deadline and lift it later. So um the question will ultimately be up to the courts and to the supreme court I would imagine about the validity of um the law that would lift the deadline. The other legal issue that's pretty complicated is five states voted to rescind
1: oh that's right
0: their earlier ratification. So they voted once and ratified the ERA and then they their their legislatures changed. They voted again and they withdrew that rescission. And there's an interesting mm. and difficult legal question that's never been addressed by the Supreme Court of whether a state can vote and then re-vote in a different mm. way to rescind their earlier ratification.
2: So many nuances and you know legal ramifications based on what, what we're dealing with. And I also think it's interesting that since the time has passed, as you mentioned, you needing to look through these new amendments through a gendered lens and, and the enhancing uh, sex equality components. Does it also include abortion rights in this fight today?
3: You ask various organizers who support the equal rights amendment, and they'll also make the point that this this is not about abortion. This is about ensuring that there is, you know, protections in the constitution um, against sex discrimination. And based off of just the reporting I've done. You know, it's it's kind of a legal question that hasn't truly been answered.
1: Well, the other piece of this that was not an issue when uh, I was fighting for this back in the late 70s, early 80s, is the whole transgender questions. There's a lot of talk, particularly related to transgender girls and women competing in sports. Is that part of this conversation?
0: Well, the Supreme Court has already answered that question for us, uh, thankfully, and a conservative Supreme Court has looked at the sex sex equality protections that are contained in federal employment discrimination law and said that without question and quite clearly that law, Title VII, that prohibits sex discrimination includes discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. So uh, the Equal Rights Amendment doesn't add any more other than expanding that interpretation to a number of other contexts. You know, abortion was also raised as an objection to the ERA in the 1970s and the 1980s, and it's, again, still uh, where those who oppose the ERA press the hardest. Um, If you look at the language of the ERA, the word abortion, the term reproductive rights does not appear in the ERA at all. Um, But I think the, the interesting question is whether one could imagine a meaningful version of sex equality that didn't include the right of people to control their reproductive bodies and to get access to full reproductive health. I think it's just important to remember that the right to um, abortion, the full range of reproductive rights are already secured under the Constitution, Roe versus Wade and other statutes, right? That still is the law. And what the Equal Rights Amendment might do is add an additional reason why those rights are secured under the Constitution, which is as a matter of sex equality. But for now, it's a matter of privacy and liberty that we enjoy reproductive rights as part of the rights that are um, protected under the Constitution.
1: You know, our listeners are always interested in learning a little bit about our guests beyond uh, their expertise in terms of, you know, why they're so passionate about things they become experts on. And Catherine, I know you mentioned that uh, it's the United States is really lagging the entire world in terms of not providing uh, sex protection in the Constitution and that you helped to write, I believe, the Afghanistan Constitution where does your passion come from? I mean, obviously, you've been working on this for a long time.
0: Well, I think for many of us, the the, the political is very personal. And so growing up, as I did in um, suburban Chicago, I led a group of girls in my, I think it was fourth grade class that were protesting the rule that didn't let us wear pants. We had to wear skirts, and that was a disaster out on the playground. Um, and when <laughs> All we- right. That yes. we fought hard. And then right out of college, I interviewed for a job in D.C. with a member of Congress and was told that he didn't want to hire me because of my age, that I would probably get married and have kids within the next year or two. And it wasn't worth training me. And <laughs> wow. sort of pathetic thing, besides that being you know, discriminatory, the pathetic thing is that I was then, as I am now, and out lesbian. I could not get married in the early 19th. I had
1: no intention of
0: doing that. Rebecca. No. And I, you know, my first book was a critique of the same-sex marriage movement. Um, marriage is not my thing. Um, and so I actually would have been a fabulous hire for him. Uh, his homophobia and sexism got in the way of his seeing, uh, seeing real talent. And I think that's part of why we need these stronger, sex equality norms um, is to make sure that the best and the brightest are hired for positions regardless of whether they're wearing pants or a skirt, or might get married uh, and have kids or might not. Um, And I would also add we do not have race discrimination protections in our Constitution explicitly either.
2: Yeah, there's so much uh, regarding uh, regarding that, you know, race, um, equity, and inclusion that's happening right now. It's conversation is really being elevated. Barbara, what about you?
3: I originally found myself interested in wanting to reintroduce some readers to the ERA because I was interested in the story of, of the the women of color who really tried to revive the ERA. And the reason why we're in this moment right now is because partly because of them. Um, so I just think that there are so many interesting questions being raised in the State House level. Um, there are so many women who are introducing policy aimed at improving their communities. And sometimes they have the, the you know, the political will in their communities to get it done. And sometimes they don't. And they're like trying to get uh, to a better place in terms of, you know, just getting more support for their ideas in state houses. And to me, that's just endlessly interesting to capture that and to write about it. And to, to see the way that it's intersecting with issues around, um, you know, gender equality and what that really means. And so, um, I've just, I've, you know, I've wanted to be a reporter since I was 16 years old. And it's, it's really interesting to work in this space now for a publication that is so centered on, you know, gender and, and politics and just really calling out things from a different type of lens.
1: Well, we did a podcast about the 19th, which I hope our listeners will listen to. I mean, it's a fantastic new source of information, and I get your feed daily. Is there any last thing either of you would like to say or add in terms of what you want to make sure that our listeners understand about the ERA and this moment?
0: Well, first of all, I want to thank you for including us in the podcast, and I um, I want to uh, invite the listeners to go to the ERA Project's website for what is objective, rigorous, careful legal analysis and policy analysis about what the ERA would do, what it wouldn't do, and what it might do. Um, there's a lot of misinformation um, and inaccurate uh, claims made about the ERA, and what we're designed to do is to give you reliable uh, interpretations about what the language means, what it could do, and
3: and what we need to do to get it passed, finally. I think that Catherine's point about uh, misinformation and disinformation about what the Equal Rights Amendment can and can't do, I think it's to the point I made earlier about, you know, just this this idea of what actually happens if the Equal Rights Amendment becomes a part of the Constitution, so I do hope to, you know, to continue to report on the, um, you know, the the incremental steps of what's playing out both in Congress and sort of legal proceedings, and hope to also communicate with Catherine a lot more in the future, too, about some of those things in order to report on them.
2: This has been fascinating. Thank you, both of you. We really appreciate this information. I think there's a whole generation of women who are anxiously waiting for this to happen, and then a new generation that needs to see it and witness it happening. It's going to be an exciting time as we continue to collectively push forward. I love all of this feminine power, you know, making things happen and, and, and changing the world. And, and you two are definitely a part of that. So thank you for being with us. Columbia Law Professor Catherine Frankie and Barbara Rodriguez, Journalist for the 19th. You really shed a lot of light on this important step for women. I'm
1: Dana Harvey. And I'm Ann Doyle, and I'm definitely going to pick up that fascinating book, Marriage Is Not My Thing. I mean, I'm a heterosexual woman, but it wasn't my thing either.
2: Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll subscribe, share us with your network, and rate us on iTunes or Spotify. It really helps build awareness.
1: And we'd love to hear from you through our Power Up Women Facebook page. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb.